It's the Code St. Luke podcast, where you'll hear interesting topics and people brought together through the Code St. Luke Public Library. Here's the show. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Kathy Diamond back once again on behalf of the Eleanor London Code St. Luke Public Library with a short monthly COVID era book talk. I hope that you are all well and keeping up with your reading, as there is not that much else besides the internet and Netflix that we can do during our long winter curfew evenings. The book that I'll be talking about today is called The Dutch House by American author and bookstore owner Anne Patchett. Anne Patchett is an American writer, American-born writer, an independent bookseller who has authored eight novels, three books of nonfiction, co-authored a children's book, and edited two books of essays. Her latest novel is The Dutch House, which was released in September of 2016. Anne Patchett has received numerous awards and fellowships over the years of her writing career, including England's Orange Prize, the Penn Faulkner Award, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and more. Her books have been both New York Times notable books and New York Times bestsellers, which don't always go hand in hand, and have been translated into more than 30 languages. The Dutch House, her latest novel, was a finalist for the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Patchett's writing focuses on unexpected life situations, such as, and those of you who've read her previous books will be familiar, with a scientist suddenly sent to the Amazon, a fraught family relationship, a group of people unexpectedly taken hostage, remember Bel Canto, and the non-traditional bonds that people form in these unexpected situations. As one reviewer said, Patchett's books are beautifully crafted literary gems with surprising storylines and fascinating insights into what it means to be human. Anne Patchett was born in Los Angeles, California. Her father was a Los Angeles police captain and her mother was a nurse who later became a novelist. She is the younger of two daughters, i.e. has an older sister, and her parents divorced when she was young. Her mother remarried and then took the family to Nashville, Tennessee, when Patchett was six years old. There she attended a private Catholic girls' school there in Nashville, run by the Sisters of Mercy. And again, if anyone is familiar with her other books, um, in in the case of this book as well, the Sisters of Mercy are mentioned. Catholic girls' schools and, and Catholicism is mentioned, as you'll note from this book as well. So Patchett puts autobiographical material from her own life into her fiction. Following graduation of high school, she attended Sarah Lawrence College 
and later attended the Iowa Writers Workshop at the University of Iowa and the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, Massachusetts. These are well-respected courses and workshops for writers. Many of the best-known American writers have attended those Iowa Writers Workshops. She wrote her first novel, which was called The Patron Saint of Liars, if any of you readers are familiar with that, back in 1992. In the year 2010, she co-founded a bookstore in Nashville with a friend of hers. And in 2016, their bookstore called Parnassus Books expanded adding a bookmobile to piggyback on the success of food trucks and expand the reach of the bookstore in Nashville. In 2012, Padgett made it to Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people. Not bad. She currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her husband, second husband, it seems. Couldn't find much anything on her first marriage, but anyway, she lives with her second husband who is a physician. And this is interesting also just because she said, and I read a long interview with her where she was asked about writing this novel and how much research did you do for it? And she said, I did a lot of research and it's a novel that you think, well, it's a novel, so it's not a science book, but in order to get things right in novels, good writers have to do research as well, of course. So she said one of the things she mentioned was that her husband is a physician and any of the scenes in which medical school or, or, or medical things are mentioned she would go to her husband over and over again to ask his advice and his opinion. It kind of takes guts to write a fairy tale these days because when you look on the PR blurbs of books or on the, you know, the cover, the, the jacket descriptions, without the descriptors searing or probing or challenging or the like, it seems like a novel, a piece of fiction, is not going to go anywhere on today's literary scene, at least in the Western world. And in Anne Paget's books, this is not what you are going to find. Anne Paget doesn't want to make you sweat, metaphorically speaking. She wants to make you care. As she explained in an interview, I have been writing the same book my whole life. That you're in a family, and what's this book about? That you're in one family, and all of a sudden you're in another family, and it's not your choice, and you can't get out. Now, it sounds like, you know, just knowing the little bit that her parents divorced when she was young and her mother took her and her sister to Nashville with the new husband, that this part is autobiographical. So as she says, I've been writing the same book my whole life. In the Dutch house, the family that she writes about is built both by blood, blood relations, and by love. And isn't that what fairy tales really are made of? This novel takes a winding road through the forest, as in the forest in fairy tales, and does not rush to a finish, nor is the ending wholly surprising. 
But if you allow yourself to walk along with the author, you will find some riches at the end of the trail. And you won't end up being stuffed into an oven. So here are all these Hansel and Gretel references that are deliberate because the Dutch house is a sibling story. The two siblings, Maeve and Danny Conroy, are a brother and sister growing up in comfortable circumstances, or so it would seem, in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia, in a house, and the book's title is The Dutch House, and the house in this story really is a main character. And this house is called The Dutch House throughout the community, also called that by the family itself, by, by Maeve and by Danny and by their father. And it's called this in homage to the Netherlands-born Van Hubeeks, or the previous owners and builders of this house. Danny and Maeve's father, Cyril, had purchased this house for his wife without telling her, mind you, purchased this house for his wife, he thought she would love it, before Danny and Maeve, the children, were born. It is enormous, wildly elaborate, stuffed with the ornate furniture and outsized presence of its Dutch former owners. And although they are no longer alive, they are looming spirits in this house. The Conroys, that's Maeve and Danny and parents, never took down the Van Hubeek's portraits. They're still there. The portraits of these original owners are all over the house. As Danny, who is the novel's narrator, describes, Mr. and Mrs. Van Hubeek who had no first names that I had ever heard, were old in their portraits, but not entirely ancient. This is is really from a a kid's point of view. Even in their separate frames, they were so together, so married, that I always thought it must have been one large painting that someone cut in half. It is in front of those paintings that the novel begins. And what's the opening sentence of the novel? The first time our father brought Andrea to the Dutch house, Sandy, our housekeeper, came to my sister's room and told us to come downstairs. Your father has a friend he wants you to meet, she said. Is it a work friend, Maeve asked. She was older and so had a more complex understanding of friendship. Sandy, the housekeeper, considered the question. I'd say not. Where's your brother? Window seat, Maeve said. And this window seat, this description of the window seat, comes back several times throughout the story when the siblings are remembering what life was like in the Dutch house. Sandy had to pull the draperies back to find me. Why do you have to close the drapes? I was reading. Privacy, I said, although at eight, he's only eight years old, Danny, when he, when the story opens or when he remembers this, I had no notion of privacy. I liked the word and I liked the boxed-in feel 
of the draperies when they were closed. And that's a very childlike, you know, as kids, I think many of us have these memories of finding a place, a cozy place that we would like to go. For some, it was it's under the table with a long tablecloth pulled down over us. In this case, it's a window seat. As for the visitor, Patchett continues on the first page of the book, it was a mystery. Our father didn't have friends, at least not the kind who came to the house late on a Saturday afternoon. I left my secret spot and went to the top of the stairs to lie down on the rug that covered the landing. I knew from experience I could see into the drawing room by looking between the newel post and the first baluster if I was on the floor. There was our father in front of the fireplace with a woman. And from what I could tell, they were studying the portraits of Mr. and Mrs. Van Hubake. I got up and went back to my sister's room to make my report. It's a woman, I said to Maeve. Sandy would have known this already. Sandy, the housekeeper. Sandy asked me if I brushed my teeth by which she meant, had I brushed my teeth that morning? No one brushed their teeth at four o'clock in the afternoon. Sandy had to do everything herself because Jocelyn had Saturdays off. She would have laid the fire and answered the door and offered drinks. And on top of that, she was now responsible for my teeth. I did, I said, because I probably had brushed my teeth. Do it again, Sandy said, and brush your hair. The last part she meant for my sister, whose hair was long and black and as thick as 10 horse tails tied together. No amount of brushing ever made Maeve's hair look brushed. Once we were deemed presentable, Maeve and I went downstairs and stood beneath the wide archway of the foyer, watching our father and Andrea watch the Van Hobakes, at least the portraits of the couple. They didn't notice us, or they didn't acknowledge us, hard to say. And so we waited. Maeve and I knew how to be quiet in the house, a habit born of trying not to irritate our father, though it irritated him more when he felt we were sneaking up on him. He was wearing his blue suit. He never wore a suit on Saturdays. For the first time, I could see that his hair was starting to gray in the back. Standing next to Andrea, he looked even taller than he was. It must be a comfort having them with you, Andrea said to him, not of his children, but of his paintings. And that's when Danny describes the couple as being very, very married and describes the paintings and and tells us, the readers, that there were paintings of this family all through the house. And... um, and then she, and finally, Danny says, when his father turns around looking at the children, noticing them or deciding to notice them, he says, come say hello to Mrs. Smith. I will always believe, continues Danny in the story, that Andrea's face fell for an instant when she looked at Maeve and me. Even if my father hadn't mentioned his children, she would have known that he had them Everyone in Elkins Park knew what went on in the Dutch house. Maybe she thought we would stay upstairs. She'd come to see the house after all, not the children. 
Or maybe the look on Andrea's face was just for Maeve, who, at age 15 and in her tennis shoes, was already a head taller than Andrea in her heels. How do you do, Maeve said, and Andrea replied that she was very well. Andrea was well. Of course she was. It had been Andrea's goal for years to get inside the house, to loop her arm through our father's arm when going up the wide stone steps and across the red-tiled terrace. She was the first woman our father had brought home since our mother left. And so here we are. In, we're, we're introduced to, to Danny as the narrator, Maeve, his sister, his brother and sister are the main characters in the book, and then to Andrea, who is really going to be the wicked stepmother of this fairy tale. A house is the rich subject for Anne Patchett in this book. And memory is as well. And the way she puts them together is really quite brilliant. We remember our childhood homes, we all of us readers I'm talking about here, because they were ours, our childhood homes. Nobody else's and children remember these. What is it like to grow up in a home that is enchanting, not only to us, because it's our home and no matter what it looks like and no matter how small it is, it's our childhood home, but enchanting and fascinating to other people as well, asks the author in this book, because the Dutch house is large and elaborate and is the subject of speculation and fascination for the whole neighborhood. So Maeve and Danny Conroy grow up in this storied place, the Dutch house, this 1922 mansion in the Philadelphia suburbs that was commissioned by this family from the Netherlands who had made their fortune in cigarettes and filled their American home with European treasures, ornate mirrors, wood paneling, fanciful windows, portraits and portraits and portraits, and even blue Delft mantles. The Dutch house is the stuff of fairy tales, and sister and brother, Maeve and Danny, displaced by a grasping stepmother, Andrea, that's the bare summary of the story. And it sounds like melodrama, and this plot would devolve into cliché in the hands of a more sentimental novelist. But Anne Patchett is made of sterner stuff. She is not a sentimental novelist. She cares. She's concerned. She's kind, but she's not sentimental. So we know that Danny is eight years younger than his sister Maeve, and he is going to be the narrator. He tells us the story of his family in and outside the Dutch house. We see this mansion and its inhabitants through his young eyes, and then we revisit the place, the Dutch house, and the characters, the people, as Danny grows up. It's as if there's a camera and gradually the aperture is opening wider, slowly. 
Danny's narrow, young Danny, I mean, he's eight years old when the story begins, his narrow view of rooms and the two women who are there to care for them, servants, you could call them, I guess, when that his view broadens to start to try or to try to understand abandonment by his mother, his and Maeve's mother, Elna, and eventually the arrival of the brisk stepmother, Andrea, which is the opening scene in the book. And along with her, mind you, come her two little girls, Norma and Bright. We watch Danny, we watch, we read about as Danny realizes that his life is strange his house is extraordinary. And, you know, as a child, you're, what you know of your house when you're very young, that's the normal. And it's only when you get old enough and you go out into the outside world and you get invited over to friends' houses that you realize that not everybody's world looks exactly like yours. But at the beginning, so, you know, Danny's eight years old and this is his life. But then he starts to realize the years go on that his house is an extraordinary one, that the rooms and the people of his childhood, of his early childhood memories, are more complex than he ever imagined. Sandy and Jocelyn, the two, the housekeeper, the sister, he discovers that they're sisters, something that he as a young child never thought of or never realized. And he's embarrassed. He said he feels ashamed later that he never had wondered who Sandy and Jocelyn were related to, that they were sisters, that he noticed that they looked alike, or who they even went home to when they left taking care of him and his sister. Most important, though, we see his sister Maeve through his eyes as he, Danny, grows from dependence to mature appreciation of his brilliant older sister. And as Danny tells the story, it comes out that Danny is the narrator of the story, but Maeve is really the heroine. She is her brother's, her younger brother's, protector, teacher, confidant and closest friend. We watch in horror and in fascination as Andrea supplants the absent Elna. Elna is the name of Danny and Maeve's mother who has disappeared. She's left them. She's abandoned her children. At least that's what it seems. And we find out too that one of Andrea's children is moved right away into Maeve's bedroom with the curtained window seat, which is a perfect detail straight from another orphan tale, if you remember Jane Eyre. And we really feel for these for this brother and sister as they come back, like Hansel and Gretel, when their father dies, to gaze at the house. They come back, they sit outside. Maeve drives Danny in her car. And this, this, we realize, become a ritual over the years. They drive and they sit in the car in front of the Dutch house and look at it. A little bit bizarre, but this is what they do, trying to make sense of their past. But above all, as the book continues, we come to understand this very special and strong bond between brother and sister. And this is the central relationship of the novel. This is the most durable relationship for the two of them, rather than any other friendship or romantic attachment. And the author 
dramatizes this sibling bond in this story as beautiful, as necessary, and as possibly dangerous at the same time. Because their mother has abandoned them, their father dies, and their childhood home becomes lost to them as the story goes on. So Maeve and Danny become a little family of two. Maeve serves, she tries to be parent to her younger brother, but she also becomes a kind of historian for Danny because as the older sibling and older by eight years, she remembers so much more. She is pragmatic, she is clear-eyed and unsentimental. Nevertheless, she is possessed by this house. And as I said, she drives Danny there whenever he comes home from school and they sit together in her parked car to view the mansion and to talk about what they have lost. Paradise lost. The ritual is painful and at the same time has a thrill to it because it's for the two of them alone. Danny does grow up and marry, but this is the true romance of his life. This love triangle, brother, sister, gorgeous house. This is the, you could call it the heart of the novel. A strange enchantment in which Maeve waits for her brother to come home and watch the house with her. Here again, you could say, if I'm describing this book to you and you haven't read it, that the situation sounds both bleak and too fantastic. But Patchett is a skillful writer, and she writes with restraint, never indulging in overwrought language. Perhaps the most dramatic scene in the book is when Maeve and Danny sit in Maeve's parked car and watch, this is towards the end of the book, as their stepmother emerges from the Dutch house because they've been banished from the house and stepmother has been living there even after the children's the father dies and she comes out they're sitting there watching as she comes out of the house very early in the morning to retrieve her newspaper and this is how Danny observes it she hadn't stopped for a scarf to put on a scarf she hadn't expected the early morning dark to be so clear or the moon so full and she stood there taking it in. And there's just this picture of Andrea, who is the evil stepmother, depiction of the evil stepmother, coming out of the house to take in her newspaper, but she stops because the night, um, something about the night captures her and the moon, and she stands there. And the two children are, oh, two children, the Danny and May, they're, they're grown up by now, are watching her. And this is a very powerful scene simple language, really mainly one-syllable words, but it conveys a moment of suspense as the two orphans are watching and speculating on the woman who threw us out, as Danny says. And so in his account, in his narration, an ordinary act, the coming outside and picking up in the newspaper, becomes slightly ominous. She was entirely too close our stepmother, as close as a person on the other side of the street. That's the ominous language. And then 
Patches switches to more mundane. I could see both how she had aged and how she was exactly herself. Eyes, nose, chin. There was nothing extraordinary about her. And then finally, the occasion for this sad revelation as Danny finishes up this bit of writing, this bit of narration, this memory. She was a woman I had known in my childhood and now did not know at all. So think of this. This is quite the journey of memory, narration in in the book, in the space of a few sentences. The Dutch house was, as I said, is written in the first person, which is rare among Patchett's fiction. She usually writes in third person narration. Um, maybe one would have gotten a different picture. Well, obviously one would have gotten a different picture if Patchett would have told it from a third person point of view, because Danny is by design, as she writes him, a clueless, tight-lipped character. Um, at least he's clueless in the beginning, and many of the details about his eccentric eccentric upbringing come courtesy of his older sister, who is a very interesting character. But eventually, Danny, our narrator, comes to realize how much he has missed along the way. As I said, including that fact that their two loyal housekeepers, Jocelyn and Sandy, are sisters. The problem, I wanted to say, writes Danny, was that I was asleep to the world. Even in my own house, I had no idea what was going on. Like memory, Danny's narrative jumps around in time, fast-forwarding to medical school, which he only attends on his sister Maeve's insistence, and then his marriage, to which Maeve objects, And periodically, he scrolls back to his boyhood. He traces his various intangible inheritances, uh, including the real estate bug that he caught from his father. So he does go to medical school, but he really, his first love, just as his father's was, was real estate. So really, this novel is one of, is about, as well as being about the two sisters and the stepmother and that part, it is, and the house, it is also about obsessive nostalgia. As I described this to you, that whenever Danny comes home to Pennsylvania, where Maeve ends up living, the two of them park across the street and they mull over what happened to them. On one of the visits, on one of these visits, Danny asks the question, which is really, I thought, you know, a wonderful question that's applicable to all of us. Do you think, he asks his sister Maeve, that it is ever possible to really see the past as it actually was. Because by definition, it's the past. So, and we're looking at it from the present, whenever the present is. So he asks this question, which I'm sure we, we all of us have thought of about at one point or another. Do you think it's possible to ever see the past as it really was? Maeve answers that yes, we can do that. She insists that she always sees the past exactly as it was. But Danny says, he counters her by saying, but we overlay the present onto the past. And of course we do. A statement that highlights the trickiness of retrospective personal histories, including this one that we are reading in this book, The Dutch House. 
we look back through the lens of what we know now. So we're not seeing it as the people we were. We are seeing it as the people we are. And that means that the past has been radically altered, is what Danny counters, which is, to me, very true. So the central conflict in the Dutch house, not the story between the orphans and the stepmother, the innocent children and the wicked witch, but it's between memory and mature reflection, childhood myth and adult analysis. And this is a classic theme of fiction. Yes, for sure, in in many of the books that we read, and a theme, of course, that, that warrants explanation, But what makes this novel, this Patchett and Patchett's eighth novel, extraordinary is her fair-minded presentation. She is able to inhabit both the child and the adult points of view. And both these points of view, the the child's point of view and the adult's point of view, have their powers, their insights, and their deceptions, their cruelties, and their passions. The outcome is uncertain, lives hang in the balance, and one cannot stop reading this story. So it's a combination of subtle mystery, fairy tale, you could say, psychological page turner, but it definitely is, at least in my mind as I read it, a thriller. A paradise lost tale dusted with a sprinkling of Cinderella, the Little Princess, and Hansel and Gretel. Another wonderful read by an author who is not ashamed to write with compassion. In this day and age when authors, other authors might feel that they might have to try all kinds of literary pyrotechnics, Anne Patchett writes in a wonderful clear prose, nothing ornate, with a compassion for her characters and for the struggles of human beings in their lives. Thank you, everyone, for listening and wishing you a healthy and safe month and looking forward to speaking with you again next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Code St. Luke podcast today. We launched the podcast and telephone broadcasting service in March 2020. The idea was to get content from Parks and Recreation and the library into your homes using Zoom, telephone, and podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it a rating and review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. For more information about programs at the library, visit csllibrary.org. For information about the city of Code St. Luke, visit codesaintluke.org. Have a great day.